Sometimes you just say a person's name and people crack up or get a smile on their face or start laughing or remember a specific story. Steve Klein is one of those people because he pitched for the Cardinals, but he was so entertaining <laughs> off off the mound, the dirty hat, being interviewed, whether it was the old 590 morning grind days or on TV. You know, he was famously from a pig farm in Pennsylvania, loved to wrestle, wanted to be a wrestling coach, would put you in a wrestling hold. Sometimes if you were a reporter walking through the clubhouse, I'm laughing just thinking about that era. I mean, the teams were really good. He got here in 2001, came over from Montreal with Dustin Hermanson. Uh, I didn't remember the deal. I looked it up. It was Britt Reams and Fernando Tatis traded to the Expos. And Klein was the classic left-handed reliever, could pitch every night, wanted to pitch every night. In fact, that's what led to the famous incident with him and Tony La Russa. Cards and Cubs, and he's getting warmed up a few times. And he got mad because Tony never brought him in the game, so he flipped him off and the cameras caught it. And I have to give full credit here, which I didn't do in the interview, but it was Joel Goldberg, who at the time was still with us at Fox 2, one of my best friends in the business. And he's now with Kansas City and the Royals, but he also worked at Fox Midwest Cardinals. But I think it was with Fox 2 duties that night. He's interviewing La Russa, part of the you know, post-game scrum, and he said, you know, did, did you see when Klein gave you the finger and Tony was pissed and he was like what who when and apparently and I wasn't there that night but Tony ran off from the media scrum famously ran into the showers to confront Klein well Kleiner talks about it says it happened it's true <laughs> then there was a Rick Hummel piece about a year ago during the pandemic Rick was doing a lot of the where are they now and he said that Klein told him whatever he sees LaRusso now Tony gives him the middle finger uh, but Steve Klein, very interesting guy, still in baseball. He is coaching the Richmond Flying Squirrels. The Richmond Flying Squirrels. It's part of the Giants organization. And um, just fun to talk some baseball memories. He was here first year. That he was here was Albert Poulos' first year. And then his last year in St. Louis, 2004, was Yadier Molina's first year. So baseball conversation, just some fun anecdotes. Oh, he talked about Mike Matheny. So it reminded him of a prison guard. And he knew about prison guards because his brothers were both prison guards. It's Steve Klein, the one and only part of the KillCoin conversation. All of our segments are posted at scoopswithdannymack.com. But you can also subscribe. iTunes, Spotify. Just make sure you register for the KillCoin conversation. That, that way it's delivered directly to you. We are presented by Triad Bank. That's a St. Louis-based bank. Started here in 2005, and the deal with Triad Bank is because they're local, they can get things done. They're not calling L.A. or New York or checking in with the folks in Charlotte or wherever they happen to be. All of it decided here. The bank's growing because St. Louis people are enjoying the process working with Triad Bank. So whatever it is, your personal banking, your business banking, check out my friends at Triad Bank. They're in Frontenac on Clayton Road or on the web. It's triadbanking.com. Marie DeVilla Senior Living, that's the premier senior living in West County at the corner of Clayton and Wideman Road. They've been there since 1960. Beautiful villa estates. That's where Red Shandings lived for so many years. Assisted living, all types of different senior living at Marie DeVilla. Get the tour, virtual tour if you'd like, mariedevilla.com. 
and appliance discounters. They're well aware of all the cannots that the other guys tell you about. You order an appliance and they say, yeah, give us about two, three months. Well, what good does that do you? They've got the huge warehouse here in St. Louis filled with GE merchandise. So when you purchase that General Electric appliance, you're going to get it delivered quickly. Within a couple of days, it's part of the great service that they provide at appliance discounters. Stop by any of their showrooms or go online at theappliancediscounters.com where their savings are your savings. Let's do it. It's Steve Klein on the KillCoin Conversation. Well, Kleiner, why don't you bring us up to speed? I think people, uh, they knew you were in the game and you're you're a flying squirrel. If there's ever a nickname that might fit a guy, I think for you being a flying squirrel, that might be the most a- appropriate yeah. to think of. Yeah, you know, our motto was have fun, go nuts. <laughs> did you ever kill a flying squirrel? I'm guessing you did. No, I never killed a flying squirrel. I never seen a flying squirrel except for on the baseball field there. So, huh. so you're coaching the kids. What What is Steve Klein the coach like? Kind of like the player, just the same, kind of intense and uh, have a lot of fun on the field. But, yet, you know, when it's time to, to play and, you know, do our work, you know, I take it a little serious. But I want to win, but I want to develop as much as, as possible, too. You want to be a big league coach? Is that the dream, the goal? Uh, I mean, I guess we're supposed to say yes, but I really don't. I just like coaching. I don't – it doesn't really bother me where I'm at. I don't – I'm not liking this power grab where these guys want to kill each other to be a – a big league coach, you know, I'm just, I just want to teach the kids the sport that, you know, gave me a lot. I just want to get back to the game. Do you see that even at the, the minor league level that it's, it's seriously cutthroat, even among coaches? Yeah. Now, nowadays it's changed. The old guard changed, you know, where, you know, you had guys, it was all about loyalty and now it's about, you know, computers and knowing a little bit more, stuff now so people are you know guys who weren't in this game are now in it that didn't understand our like unwritten codes and stuff now it's uh it's you know the changing of the guard or whatever you want to say how much analytics are at at the minor league level right now oh tons tons a lot of it now it's every day we get some kind of new information or something about you know pitch selection usage uh you know, scouting reports on the other teams, you know, how in-depth they go. They You can go really deep into it. We have an analytical guy that travels with us in the minor leagues, video people. So uh, it's big. It's big for the uh, – especially with our, our front office now, they they uh, they like that stuff. Weren't the analytics in your day – hate to sound so freaking old here. We're all getting old. But what wasn't Dave Duncan's gigantic freaking binder? That, that was analytics back then, right? The dunk binder? Yeah, we had him. We had uh, Danny Martin down below. I mean, well, not Danny, but uh, Chad. And then, uh, you know, you just kind of went in and watched your video and kind of watched the other team. And you read, you read the USA Today, you know, box scores every day and find out who's hot and who's not. And then when the team came in, you had like a uh, the stat sheets of, you know, like righty versus righty, lefties versus lefty type thing. Then you had, uh, you just kind of read like how many stolen bases and the guy struck out a lot, walked. You know, how he's hitting, is he hit for power, is he an average guy, does he run, you know, and stuff like that. That was our analytics back then. These kids that you're coaching, do they ever look and say, man, you you played in the show for 11 years. How, how aware of your career are they? Uh, some of them, though. Some some ask questions. If I Someone someone one day asked me if I even played, so that was, that was great. So I just told them, I said, make sure you read the media guides about 
about uh, all the people in, in the from the front office down. I try to explain to these kids that you know, you know, if Willie Mays walks up to you, know who he is, or like uh, you know Brian Sabian, you know those those type of people. Just so you don't make it, you know, butt out of yourself by saying something stupid, and you know, because I've been there. So well, you were always joking around, and you. I mean, you certainly played up the fact that you were like a country bumpkin and you said you were a Beverly hillbilly and all of that. But I think you were pretty savvy, weren't you? I mean, you wasn't part of it. You were kind of playing a role and you had a little bit of shtick to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up on a pig farm. I really did. I mean, I just uh, I loved sports, but I was I was my senses were really good. That's what I think helped me through my career is I could pick up things on people and I could read things, you know, my, my brothers were all prison guards. So they kind of, you know, taught me the, the way of uh, how to interact with other people and get like all the things you need out of them. So I learned a lot of old time tricks on how to, to read people and find out their details about them. And, you know, and then I used it, I could exploit it or I could use it to my advantage. Either way you could do it. That's because I didn't throw 97. So you had to do other things to, to be good. Growing up on a pig farm, did you think you were going to be a big league pitcher? At what point did you think that was even possible? No, I never. I just thought I was going to go. To, I was going to be like one of the first guys to go in the family to college, and just because it was like, oh, you can play some, you know, pretty good at baseball. So I was like, oh yeah, I'll just go to college. And you know, I didn't have to have my mom or dad pay for school, so that was the that was the plan. And then, you know, I thought I'd end up working at the prison, and eventually I got I got fortunate that you know I made it to the you know I got drafted and. From there, it just kind of took off. And you compared, I believe, Mike Matheny. This was in a Rick Hummel article about a year ago. You said Matheny is kind of like a prison guard, right? <laughs> so it's, was he that even as a teammate in just what, stern, intense? Well, he was very intense, and he expected high stuff out of you. He, his expectations were high for you. But he was – for me, he was just like, you know, he was a leader, man. He, he, didn't, he didn't put up with a lot of – you know, bull crap. He kind of just told you right to your face if you thought, you know, you needed to clean up your act a little bit, which I needed, which is good because uh, he's an he's an intense guy when he plays, but he's the nicest human being off the field. So I mean, he does a lot of good stuff. So we just, I just like to push his buttons a little bit, try to get him fired up a little bit, and sometimes he just wanted to kill me. So it was great. I see, I see you and Matheny as like polar opposites. I can almost picture you're wearing your dirty freaking hat. And he's got a nice press polo. He's like, Kleiner, knock it off. What does he say to you? You look like a goddamn bum. I mean, what does he say? What would he say? No, he won't. He won't ever cut. Mike never cussed. So he was always just like, this he, is just, he would just come up to me. But I can't believe you just said that. He's like, you can't be saying stuff like that. So he was, he was like my, uh, my publicist or something. You know, he was always just trying to tell me what not to, to say. Because I was, I, I like to do the shock and all. I like to see how people react to some things that you say, just to see how they, you know, to read them. And then he was one of those guys who's like, you can't be doing that stuff. And uh, like I said, he, he goes out and hunts. I really don't hunt. He's a hunter. He goes out and, you know, fishes and does stuff like that. And I'm the complete opposite of him. I just sit in my house and eat pizza all night, you know. <laughs> Are you shocked that he's a manager or did you figure that was his route? I thought he was he was always going to be a good manager. I thought he was uh, he was stern enough. I mean, I, I know these kids today, they can't handle a little criticism. So he might get in a little bit more trouble, but. Because he's very, uh, he's right there with you. He'll just tell you what he thinks. There's no, uh, there's no hiding it, you know. So I like, I like it. I thought he'd be a, a really good manager. You know? 
And your four-year run in St. Louis, 2001 through 2004, those were really good teams. And, you know, playoff baseball every single year you were here. Give me an idea. And that was the old Bush, which, you know, I kind of – I grew up in that building, going to games there. What, what was that four-year stretch like for you? Oh, it was the best. I mean, I mean, there's nothing better than being a part of the Cardinal Nation. I mean, that was something uh, – we live for when I heard about the birds on the bat and then you find out the traditions that they had, and you meet the old time players that come down the spring training and the ones that come to the, the fan fest. And you're like, wow, this is incredible. This was something that uh, I didn't have in Montreal. You know, it was kind of like, uh, you know, you got 3000 people, you know, you could beat them all out through the traffic before the game was over. But uh, St. Louis was a different thing. It was like a college atmosphere for every, you know, professional game. And it was, uh, and we were good. We had, we had some really good teams. I mean, we, I think we could have won the, the World Series a couple of years, and we just, you know, we fell short. Three out, three out of the four years, I think we fell kind of short. Two of them was because of my fault, but other than that, you know, I think we could have been there. Well, and they win it in 06, and that team only won 83 games, but it still had Pujols, Edmonds, Roland, you know, that combination and the, the big three. Um, and it was sort of vindication for that group that had come up short. Did, did you watch in 06 and say, man, that – that was my team right there. That could have been me. No, I was happy for him. I was so happy for, you know, the guys that we worked with as uh, players, too, like Randy Flores, for me, as a left-handed reliever. I remember him coming up as a young kid, and I was just sitting there talking the whole spring training and stuff, and you just pass it on to guard. You know, you pass on the, your knowledge, and hopefully they can carry it on and win and, you know, try to win for the people in St. Louis. I mean, they deserve it. You know, it's like, look what they, they did for the Blues when they won. It's just – it's a great town. They deserve uh, – they deserve champions, you know, and they – they kind of got spoiled there in the 80s and stuff. And then, you know, in the 2000s, we had great teams. And like I said, you know, we just – we had missing pieces there. You know, and Roland got hurt one year. Uh, Carpenter got hurt. It just kind of knocked you out. You know, we had, we had a good chance and we just uh, – we fell short. We ran into the unit, the big unit, and the and, uh, Schilling, the, you know. And, that you know, they were two good guys too. The other team was just as good. So – but we had good shots at it. And I think we just uh, – we played our best. We just, didn't, we just didn't come out on top. Now, you referenced it, and you had the misfortune of being on the mound for the last swing of the 01 season, the last swing of the 02 season. How, how tough is that to shake off? I mean, you had a great four-year run here. Your stats backed that up. You had a lot of success. Uh, but how painful is that when you're that guy on the mound? And I don't know. I, I, there's a stat for everything. I don't know if that's ever yeah. No, I, I, it's, it sucks for the people of St. Louis that we lost that way. For me, I, I it doesn't really bother me because I, I knew I was out there pitching. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. I like pitching, so I didn't, you know, take it like it's like life and death situation. The other team beat me. They were better than us, and that's how I looked at it. You know, like, you know, the, the guys who hit the ball on the other side are some good players, you know. I mean, Tony Womack was a good player, so it was, you know, Kenny Lofton that beat me. So, and, you know, I came in with guys on base sometimes, you know, that's, that's how it was. It wasn't like, you know, you started the inning and I just said, this is my job. And I try to come here and get them out. And sometimes they beat in, you just tip your hat to them. And sometimes you throw a pitch and they pop it up. And so I never like, you know, right after the fact, I was kind of, you know, pissed off and I wanted to break some stuff. But other than that, I, I calmed down. I was like, you know what? It's baseball. This is how the game works, you know, and you got, you know, not going to change my life. I'm not, I don't want to end up like Donnie Moore or something, you know what I mean? So I was like, I'm not going to let it consume my life. I always thought that the O2 team, not that it was destiny, but because 
you know, Jack Buck died, then Daryl Kyle died, and they're not comparable. One was an older man, one was a player in his prime. But it seemed like that team came together. Even Tony Larusa, his whole legacy in St. Louis changed that summer. People saw him as human. Uh, and, and I thought, boy, if ever a team could maybe go on a run that was magical, I thought it was going to be that team. And it, it seemed that exit was particularly cruel. What do you remember about that summer, how, how the team bonded and overcame? I mean, the death of a teammate, that just doesn't happen often. I think we even talked to you in the streets, and my buddy Joel was up there, the streets of Chicago across from the hotel. Uh, that weekend, you guys tried to play a game, and it was just an emotional mess for you guys, I think. What are your recollections <laughs> of that summer? Oh, I mean, like I said, we, we, we all came closer. I mean, that was our, our leader, Daryl, was, uh, you know, he was the first one to the ballpark, the last one to leave, you know. He watched every pitcher throw. It wasn't like he ever uh, left that, left the field, you know. I mean, we just saw how he loved his kids and his wife and, you know, just to see that stuff kind of, you know, really was talking. And, of course, Jack, you know, he's just like the uh, the brilliant, like, funny, outlandish type, you know, talker, you know. He's, he's completely opposite of Joe, you know. I mean, he's like – I mean, Joe's like smart, you know, has a smart-ass comment for a lot of things where Jack was like just – he always like ripped himself apart, you know, and – he could laugh at himself and it just made him human. You know, you're sitting there watching this great announcer and you're thinking, wow, you know, like, and then you just had to see like how that ended up. And then, you know, I think it was like a week apart, I think, or 10 days apart. And it was just sad. And then, you know, we had, we came together, we kind of struggled right after it, but uh, you know, like I said, Tony put us together and he brought us back and he said, you know, let's just go out and do it for Daryl and for Jack and, we went out there and tried, you know, just, like I said, we fell up short on the in, uh, beautiful San Francisco. What did you think of Tony before you got there? And I bring this up because about a year ago, I was talking to Lance Berkman and he said, man, when I was in Houston, I hated Tony. I wanted to take him in the parking lot and beat his ass after every game. Because then I played for him and I freaking love him. He's my favorite guy. Like, give me an idea before and after the Tony experience. Yeah, before, I mean, I was with Felipe, and, you know, over Montreal and stuff. And, uh, you know, you're always envy of him because, you know, Tony had some good teams. You know, I knew him from, like, when he coached in Oakland and when he was, you know, there in St. Louis. But <clears throat> the stories were, you know, he was always like a, you know, like a dirty manager. He, you know, he'd throw at you, all this stuff. But once you got to play for him, you realize he, he cared just about your family as much as he cared about you. He wanted you to, to be a better person than he did just a, a good ball player. So he was – you find out a different side of him. He, you know, he's a very smart, intellectual guy. You know, he, you know, he does a lot of good charity things and stuff. But uh, he, he actually cares about your the people around you. Like he knew your your you know your wife's name, your kids' names, your your mom and dad. He he knew how to butter your family up to to make you play. You know, better, happier wife, happier life, right, or something like that. So he, but uh, you know, he he was intense about baseball. He was the first one. I mean, he was like. Just like Daryl Powell, he was the first one to the ballpark, and he never saw him go home. Like sometimes we sit there at night just waiting to see if he'd leave, and he, he'd wait till all of us were gone. I mean, he was, I mean, he can, I mean, he can kind of rub maybe the media the wrong way or whatever. But I mean, he always, he always took the blame, which was something that you never see a lot of guys do. He would, if if we screwed up, he would always say, "Ah, it's my fault. Like I shouldn't have pitched him. He looked tired." Blah blah. You know, he always he always covered us, and it was you know, that's what then you really respect him after you realize that. You and I were both on the dais for the uh, Larusa roast one year at the writers' dinner, and I, I believe your line. Now, the hey, Jim, the cat Hayes, the cat is taking credit, I think, for maybe feeding this. I don't know, but you said yes. Tony loves dogs, he loves cats. It's people he treats like shit, and Tony's laughing. And I think this is something people don't realize. 
he did have a sense of humor. He can actually be a lot of fun, especially off season. But I think that's a bit of a misnomer about Tony is that he's never any fun. Yeah, he's he's really guarded. I think he just guards himself. And then he but once you get to know him, it's like anybody, it's like Barry Bonds, same thing. Once you know him, you really like you find out you like him. He's not a bad person. And it's Tony's same thing. You're just like, okay, you know, once you get past that little guard shield, he 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 looks at you and says, you know what, I can trust this guy a little bit. And then he uh he opens up to you and you find out how how awesome he really is. Does he still really give you the finger when he sees you? Is that part of your running joke now? Yeah, he, he gave it to me. And then I, I saw him when he was with the Diamondbacks, and he was uh, – he had, like, Shelby Miller and some guys coming over throwing our minor league complex. And he came over, and he stood right behind me and said, what do you want to do here in this pitch? And he, for about four innings, he just gave me nothing but grief the whole time. You know, he just stood right behind me, and, and he was the opposite. I was like, hey, you're not supposed to be on this side of the field. And he was like, just tell me, well, why don't you pick over there? Why don't you hold here? Why don't you do this here? You better watch this guy. First baseman's too far off the bag. You know, move the outfielders in. They got to go. He was just all over me. He's like, come on. I thought you learned this stuff. And he was just, it was good. It was a good uh, roasting. He gave it back to me. So it was great. But him giving you the finger is the callback, the famous night, June of 2004. You're warming up. It's a Cubs game. It's a big heated series, right? And you just got mad. You flipped the bird and the cameras, of course, caught it. Tell me what's true after that. Because he said, I think, didn't he tell it? He ran into the showers looking for you. He was so yep. ticked off. Yeah, he came flying in the showers after me. And he's like, what? Did you just give me the finger? And I was like, I, I had no idea I gave it to him. I mean, I knew I gave it to him, but I didn't know they caught me. And I just said, yeah. I just told him, I said, yeah, I gave it to you. And he's like, why? And I said, well, you pissed me off. I said, I've warmed up like 85 times. It was just a mixture of the, of the, the Cub fans uh, screaming at me the whole time. That was that was, a, I think, you know, one of those things that you just, you know, you're intense. And when people are getting you riled up, you want to get in there. And I was my mistake, my fault. And I told him that. And he was like, well, go out and tell the media I just beat the crap out of you. You know, and I was like, okay. So he came right in the shower. It was great. I'm sitting Did there it freak you out? soaking up. Yeah, it was so great. You're, you're taking a shower and your manager comes in screaming at you, I presume. No, he really, he was, he was, uh, he called me, he came in, he's like, hey man, what the hell, you know, he got, he wasn't like nice to me, but he was, you know, he wasn't like degrading or nothing. He, and then he just told me, you can't do that, you know? And I was like, I know, I just was pissed off at the moment. He goes, I, and I love the intensity. I love the passion about it. He's like, you just can't do that. You know, and I was like, I understand. And I, you know, and I apologized and I told him, I said, you know, that was a big mistake on my part, but we got, we got past it because he knew that I was passionate about playing. I wanted to play. I didn't. I don't sign like these contracts like these kids today and just not want to play. I don't, I don't get like, you know, how guys take days off. And I mean, the fans pay to see these guys play and we got guys that, you know, don't want to play. So it kind of irritates me. And that's one thing I always told myself. I said, I signed a contract to play. So every time they told me to play, I'll play. And now Tony's managing again. Give me your level of shock that at age 76, he's still doing it. He loves it. He's a baseball. He's a lifer. I think he he got away from it, and then this game kind of got into like you know the uh, to these numbers and stuff. And I think he was like, "Okay, you want to see? I I can do this too." And I think he just has old axe to grind with it. And he wants to go out and show people he can, he's doing great. I mean, yeah. You know, the good thing about it is he can pick a team that you know it kind of has winning players on it. You know, and he's he's good. I'm telling you what, he'll he'll have those kids ready to go by you know. September and October, they'll be they'll be geared up, ready to play baseball, and you know he'll get some good pitching, and you know he'll have some good you know have some good power. I think he'll he'll make a an impact on this year's uh, postseason.
And the narrative is, well, he's old school. That team is particularly young and fun. And then he gets mad at your main Mercedes who, who hit the home run off the uh, backup player, you know, position player for the twins on a three Oh pitch. And Tony said it was a mistake. And people are like, Oh my God, here we go. The old grumpy guy. Is it that simple? Is it old school, new school, or can these young fun guys, can he still, can he teach them something? You know, is there a balance there? Yeah, I think it's embarrassment that the twins had to throw a position player. People don't pay to see uh, position players play against other position players. They want to see yes, they want to see the pitchers throw the ball against the hitters. I don't, I don't get this whole I can't pitch stuff because I threw yesterday. I mean that that kind of upsets me a little bit. That one, you know, but like for that, Tony just Tony was probably just trying to you know keep it mellow that you know he didn't want the guy to hit the home run, but he's probably happy underneath. He's like, yeah, light him up. I mean that's. You want to be the team. You want to put them. You want to put them down as much as you can. I don't. I mean, if they were going to throw a position player, that's their fault for getting whacked around. You know. I mean, have pitchers out there if you don't want them to hit home runs off you. So that's you know that's nothing. I mean, I don't know why Tony would. You know, I just think he's playing the other side of the, the diamond right there. He doesn't want anybody to, you know, to have a, a bad grudge towards that team or something. You know? Especially the Twins, they were playing pretty bad at the time. You think he's trying to protect his team from igniting a twins or kind of pissing them off too much? Oh yeah, he'll keep. He knows how to keep them down. He's like I said, he's he's the lawyer, right? And I would always claim to be the lawyer. So you know how that goes. He'll, he knows how to play that the devil's advocate and uh, always see the other side of things. So that's how Tony is. And like I said, I mean, he's probably just he's saying that, but underneath, I bet he's like, yeah, just keep kicking the crap out of that team while we're hitting, you know, like, especially in your own division. I mean, it sets up for the next couple of years too. I mean, it's not like just for this year, but he wants to, that mindset of we're better than you. Anytime you play us, you know, we're, we're the, now we're the mighty Chicago white Sox. That's what he's trying to think. You know, he wants them to, to hold themselves like, you know, world champs. 2004, I know you were injured during the World Series, but the games to get there, game six, it's legendary, the extra innings, the Edmonds homer, the building shook. And then even game seven, you got Supon, who's got to beat Clemens, rolling homers. Uh, just give me an idea of those games back-to-back. The Astros, it was a great rivalry at that time. And it, it, that wasn't the World Series. It was the NLCS, but for the, the city hadn't been to the World Series in no, I mean, that, years. That was a big, big deal. Yeah, that was huge. I mean, we we went up, I think, 2-0, and then we went down there, and we lost the next three, and then we had to win the next two. And, I mean, Jimmy Emmons made an unbelievable catch off of Brad Osmus. I think he made a catch in center field that was like, oh, my God, I can't believe he caught that ball because we would have lost right there. And then, uh, you know, Pools came in telling us that, hey, you know, Clemens is going to pitch me in, and he hits a double, I think, down the line to score, like, the tying run, and then Roland hits the home run. I mean, it was like just – Albert sat there, told us the whole game. He's waiting for one certain pitch, and he got it, and he probably and he, he didn't miss it, and he got a double off in the kind of thing. It was just like, and then Izzy coming in, closing out the door, and us all jumping around, celebrating. Young Yachty, you know, being a baby at the time, and you know, so it was like fun to see those kids. Uh, you know, we had success, I think, and then we had to go play the bloody sock and all that. That stupid all-star crappy. Whoever wins it gets home field advantage crap. I mean, we would have. We would have been, I think, a little different, but we lost Carpenter that year to go to the World Series. That's That hurt us the most. That was our number one. That was our ace, you know, when he went down. So, we had to start game one with Woody, I think, up there, and then Matty Morris and stuff like that. And we kind of gave it up in game one against the Red Sox. You know, I think the Bellhorn guy hit a home run or whatever his name was. I think it was Bell, he had like a three-run homer and beat us like 11 to nine or something. 
but uh, you know, we pieced stuff together. We we should have been a lot better. We had Larry. I mean, we had some really good players. I mean, Larry Walker. You look at that. I mean, Pujols, Edmonds, Reggie. I think Reggie Sanders was still there. Yeah, you well, know. You you weren't a fan of the Kurt Schilling narrative that he had the bloody sock, right? Oh, I always thought he was faking it. I thought he he used it to his advantage, but he's I mean he's I mean he's a great competitor. He can pitch. That guy's pretty good. I when people ask me, do you think he should be a, in the Hall of Fame? He was, he's better than some of the other guys are putting in. So, I mean, he's pretty legit pitcher wise. He was good. Was I mean, it, wasn't it a different era too? And I've talked to Edmonds and other guys. The old Bush, you guys could walk over to patios and you could be bartending. You could be behind the bar, on top of the bar. Like before social media, I mean, that was a fun era, wasn't it? You guys were the toast of the town and everybody seemed to be riding high. And, and you could go out and actually have fun with the fans. Well, that's what you want to do. I, I think baseball has really dropped the ball on that because they – everywhere you go now in spring training, they, it's like everything's blocked off and gated. I just remember being a kid being in Winter Haven, Florida when the – the Red Sox were in town, you know, and you went down for spring training and you got to go, you know, you had like a little yellow rope that held you back from the event, but people come over and shake your hand, sign autographs. Like now you have no, you know, access to any of the players. So it kind of ruins the fans aspect. I think, I think major league baseball has dropped the ball big time on that stuff. Like, I think they need to get back to letting, you know, we're not movie stars. You know, we're just baseball players. You should be able to go out and talk to the guy, the fan. Yeah. You can have fans that yell and scream at you and say stupid stuff to you, but we say stupid stuff too. So, but I think you need to uh, have that relationship. I think they have to see you as a human being. If they don't see you as a human being, they're just going to treat you like a robot. And they're just going to, you know, get on you and heckle you more. Because all they, a lot, of, a lot of the fans just see dollar signs and they think, oh, this guy changed. He's a different person, you know. But some of the guys that get paid the biggest money really want to be the best players. They really do. So, you know, and, it, it, you know, you think about life, you know, the life thing, but you also want to win for the fans of the town that you're playing for. I mean, that's huge. You know, you never want to get booed at home. I just think the access to the fans kind of it kind of sucks for the, those people now. I just I wish people could just go over and sign autographs. It's like I see guys in my level now. Like, they like, oh, my agent told me not to sign autographs. I'm like, tell your agent to kiss my ass. You know, go sign autographs and become a good person. You don't know who you're going to meet. You meet so many nice people in this game, and I think that's where a lot of our players have uh, fallen, and they they just believe their shit doesn't stink or their crap doesn't stink. I'm sorry, cussed it, Mark. I think I think they need to be a little humble and uh, understand that these fans still pay our salaries and stuff, and we can go over there and you know enjoy and just enjoy them. I used to remember going to eat brats with David Weathers and Jeremy Burnett's in uh, Milwaukee. We would go over after the game and go out there and sit with a bunch of the season ticket people from Milwaukee. We just eat brats and you know they would drink beer with them. It was like it was, that's what you want to do. I didn't want to go sit in my hotel room and watch, you know, TV. I just I wanted to go out and see people and see the, you know, the the culture that was around you. You still got a dirty hat? No, nope, it's clean now. I I, mean, I can't get dirty because I don't play. I don't have to cheat anymore. So, yeah. so uh, that hat wasn't dirty. It wasn't just dirty from your activities on the field. It may have had substances. You're saying maybe? Well, I, I I figured I didn't throw hard enough, so no one really cared if I did anything. You know, once Tavares did it, then they went after him because he, he threw hard. But I figured when I – I sat a little pine tar up there because, you know, like the balls get really dry. And they rub them up like, a, you know, 11 o'clock in the afternoon or, like, well, you know, noon, I should say. And then by the time, you know, you get there at 9 o'clock at night for you to pitch, the balls get real dry. I just don't want to hit anybody in the head. I mean, because the balls slip out a lot. So, you know, you just put a little, you know, baby oil and freaking, you know, sun, you know, 
whatever you had to do. People had different things. They, they get a little stickiness to the ball. That was, that was it. And I just, I liked pine tar. Just like, I just needed a little bit. I, it wasn't to get any better pitch or any, it wasn't like I'm going throwing from 88 to 97. It was just, I just wanted to make sure I didn't hit anybody in the head or throw the ball away. 2001, your first year was also first year here, St. Louis was Albert's first year. When did you say, I know he was there in Colorado day one opening day, but when did you say this guy's a star? Uh, probably, probably about June. We were starting to say it like, Oh my God, this guy's really gifted. I mean, you know, the first month you're kind of like, okay, he's hot, you know, well, you know, he'll calm down. And then he didn't, he just got better and better. And the things he did were just impressed you. And the knowledge of the game for, you know, a young kid, the way he handled himself, the, you know, I mean, he just he could interact with the, the veterans and he was, he was very humble. You know, I don't know how he is now. I think he's still probably that way because he loves people. And I think uh, you just looked at him and you're like, wow, man, this guy was really, really good. I mean, like really good. You just don't, you don't compare the numbers of like, to like, you know, Stan the man and, you know, Luke Gary, all these people he's getting compared to for things that he's done. Cause I mean, people forget he played left field for us and then he went to third base and then he went to first base. So he could play everywhere. It wasn't like, I mean, he was a good ball player. So I mean, that, you know, the Achilles thing or not his Achilles, but whatever happens to his foot, this plantar fasciitis or whatever, that kind of slowed him down a little bit, but stud. He was an absolute stud and a a good person and a good, and uh, loved playing with him. Loved it. And your last year in St. Louis was Molina's first year. Did you think, hey, this guy is going to be around forever? He's a gold glover. And, and he kind of – didn't he – in 04, he got into it with either Manny or Ortiz. Remember that in the World Series? He spoke up. Yeah, he thought they were tipping signs to each other on the own deck circle saying something in Spanish. So he had a, he had a little uh, deal with it. So he got mad and he took it out on them. I mean, he, he's intense. I mean, like I said, he's, uh, he's another one. You know, like I said, you, you, you back up Mike Matheny – and you just, you learn, I mean, this guy, you know, got to be behind him and now he turned out to be a, an unbelievable superstar for the, for the Cardinals. You know, he's soft-spoken, you know, but he on the field, he's not, he, he's intense. He really wants to win. He'll fight anybody in a heartbeat. And, you know, he's totally opposite of his brother, Benji and Jose. They're like the fun loving guys. And Yachty's more hot tempered and, uh, but he's an awesome teammate. He was a good teammate too. He, he, you know, he embraced everything. He respected everything. And, uh, and we were, we were fortunate. We had guys like George Kissel and Red Shindies around and, you know, Gibson and Brock, those guys come in the locker room. They, they just put you right back in your place. Same thing here in San Francisco. When you walk in the clubhouse, you had McCovey and Gaylord and Marischal and, you know, Mays walking around. These guys, they humble you a little bit about the game. You, you, re- you start respecting the culture of it and the way the game has, you know, progressed from the time that they played to now and, you know, you want to put your hat on and your uniform on and make them proud. You want you want the old timers to say, "Hey, man, you could have played back when we played." That's what that's you know was the main goal. And I think Yachty's done that, and Wayne and Wayne is going to be that way too. I mean, people love him, and he's enjoying baseball. It's, it's amazing how older he is now. He really enjoys it. I would say don't go changing, Kleiner, but I, I think that's already uh, implied and understood. You you haven't changed. Uh, how about a final thought for your fans back in St. Louis? Oh, the best. People and the birds and the bat, man, love them. They're the best people in, in sports. Keep up the good work and, uh, you know, treat Arenado. You know, he's a good guy. He's a good player. I mean, just, you know, I mean, good luck to you guys. I hope everything works out for you guys. I hope, you know, the Giants and the uh, 
Cardinals get to the playoffs and play each other. I mean, that'd be a, that'd be a good one for me. So I can see both teams that I really love and respect and see them there, you know, and they're the big dance at the end. But to all the people, love you all. You guys have been great to me. Uh, he is a classic. I don't think you're ever going to see Steve Klein change in any way. We actually talked for a while off air. <laughs> and uh, that was interesting. But but the line about analytics, just it not only fits him, it, it just fits that era. And it's not that long ago. Guys would get to the stadium and they'd grab USA Today and check the batting averages to see who they were playing that night. It just sounded so simple and, you know, it just seemed like it was a lot more fun than too many damn numbers now. I'm sure Kleiner agrees. I would love to be in the meeting when somebody from the analytics department comes in to meet with Steve Klein. I uh, hope you enjoyed it, the Kilquin conversation, and thanks for the great feedback on the John Shaw interview, the Rams' former president. Fascinating stories about his time with the Rams, the move to St. Louis, the famous clause and lease that he got drawn up, and then the subsequent exit under Stan Kroenke. Uh, we're looking for folks like that, a little bit off the radar, a little bit off the grid, maybe you haven't heard from in a long time. That's sort of our goal here. And we've got a few more of those in store. So stay tuned and subscribe. It's the Kilquan Conversation presented, as always, by Triad Bank, located in Frontenac and on the web, triadbanking.com. Marie Davila, Senior Living. Love these folks out there at Marie Davila. Get online, mariedavilla.com. And Appliance Discounters, theappliancediscounters.com. We'll talk to you soon.